Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Elizabeth Woodson, and I'm here with my friend Taryn Mays. And today, I am very excited to talk to Pastor Mark Virgo. Pastor Mark is a lead pastor at College Park Church in Indianapolis, as well as the author of two fantastic books on the topic of lament, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, and Weep With Me. Today, we are going to talk with Pastor Mark about Dark Clouds, Deep Pastor Mark, as we get started, can you just tell our audience a little bit about yourself for those who aren't familiar with you? And of all the topics to write on, you have written on lament. I'm a fan of lament, and we're going to get into that, Taryn as well. But for those of our folks who aren't familiar with you, why lament? Why would you choose that topic to write on? Yeah, I've answered that question a lot. In fact, (laughs) when I first suggested to uh, some uh, folks in the publishing world that they need a book on lament, they were like, what? And I'm like, wait, 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 let me explain this to you. So we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But uh, yeah, I've been the pastor here at College Park since 2008, uh, married to my wife, Sarah. We have four uh, children, three boys that are now married, and um, a daughter who is uh, 16 years old. I'll be a grandpa, Lord willing, in February. So we've got a new category coming up that I'm pretty excited yeah. about. And uh, we love to serve Jesus in our church, love to connect with people and uh, build relationships with uh, folks who really want to make a difference in the world, which is our uh, mission. And um, just enjoy being together as a family in lots of ways. I'm an avid camper. We love to go in northern Michigan, like to golf, roast coffee. And my wife uh, breeds Bernadoodles. So we right now in our basement are 12 puppies. So after, <laughs> after I go home today, no matter how bad my day was, 12 puppies, it's, it's all going to be better. All the love. So, yeah, all the love for sure. So yeah, lament. So 2004, between our third and our uh, fourth child, we had a, a stillborn daughter. Her name is Sylvia, and uh, she was um, only about a day and a half away from being born. And um, 39 weeks, uh, her heart stopped. We have no idea even to this day what happened. And uh, the process of mourning that really sudden loss, uh, then experiencing multiple miscarriages after that, trying to pastor a church, trying to preach. I, I just, as I'm grieving, I'm just coming to the... Um, uh, conclusion that either that both a I'm unprepared for what's going on, b people don't know what to do with my pain, and c I have a theological orientation about who God is, and yet I'm trying to figure out how do I talk to God as I'm kind of walking through this pain. And so for oh man, the better part of I don't know five six years, I'm just kind of stumbling my way through this and. My pain caused me to read the Bible differently. It caused me to read Psalms differently. And it was like, this was here before, but I never saw it. And it actually sounded like some of the things that I was trying to say to God. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was lamenting. And Mm -hmm. as I began to teach on kind of the darker Psalms, I kind of stumbled into lament and realized then, oh my goodness, that's what was going on. I just didn't have a category for it, didn't have an understanding of it. And what happened is the more I taught on it and the more I talked about it, people like came out of the woodwork and I began to realize this is really important. 
And this is not talked about a lot. And I think it needs to be reclaimed in the context of the church. And so it was just this crazy idea to do some writing on it. And quite frankly, I thought nobody's going to read this book. Uh, there's so much already on grief. Um, you know, even the, the folks that I first was talking to them about it were like, lament, what is that? Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Let me explain this to you. So the, the goal from the very beginning has just been to try and have a conversation about how we talk to God when the bottom falls out, when we believe that God is good, but yet life is really hard. And rather than trying to reconcile those two, what I was trying to do in my life, and I think what lament does, is it helps us to hold those two things in tension. Two things can be true at the same time. God is good, and life is really hard. Then the question is, how do we talk about that reality? And I think that's for most evangelical Christians in the 21st century, uh, especially prior to COVID, um, was a, uh, a missing language. Mm -hmm. By God's grace, I'm, I've seen a renewed interest in lament, um, in large part because we've all been grieving for a long time the last two years, mm -hmm. and we've needed a, a new language in lots of spaces uh, to try and help us talk to God about our sorrows. Mm -hmm. You know, Mark, I, one of the things I so loved about uh, this book in particular was that you give us, it's not just that you are giving us a, a biblical understanding of the importance of lament. You move into the practical application of how to lament and spend, I mean, obviously that's the, the emphasis of your book, which is so beautiful. And I, we, we want to get to that. I think what we want to do first, though, is simply ask the question, because you just set it up for us that uh, in the way that you described in your book is lament is a language of a people who believe in God's sovereignty, but live in a world of tragedy. And so in holding that as believers, we understand that. We see though we see that outlined in the Bible. So I think the question that comes to mind initially is, well, why don't we? Why don't we lament? And how has that in turn affected us? Yeah, there's so many reasons. I'll just give you a few. And I'm still trying to figure that out, to be honest with you, because there aren't just one or two uh, reasons. I think it's multi-causal. Um, one is, I think that our definition in Western Christianity about what successful Christianity looks like, um, we, we, we land on particular verses like rejoice in the Lord always. And that's, a tr that's true. That's in the Bible. That's a verse. And so we, we, we kind of establish this idea that real Christians are happy. And that's true, but that's not always true. You can still be a real Christian and, and be really sad. Yes. In fact, you know, one out of every three Psalms in the um, uh, Psalms, one out of every three Psalms is in the language of lament. And so it just, I, I think we've got a wrong perception of what normative Christianity is like. I've said to people, look, if one out of every three Psalms is lament, then you ought to figure that maybe one out of every three days, you're going to maybe be a little sad. Yes. Um, I think the other thing is when you combine um, a Western view of Christianity along with American individualism and this sense of triumphalism mm. that in our singing and in our preaching and in our approach to Christianity, we think, again, that real Christians, the message that we need to proclaim is um, triumphant always win. And many of us don't know what it's like to be on the other side of that. We don't know what it's like to live in a world where recessions don't end, when because of either who you are or in American history, the color of your skin or um, some sort of uh, challenge that's just, it's not going away. Like you got to figure out how do we live in this space? Like it's not going to change. So I can still be spiritually healthy when dark clouds don't leave. And I think 
that kind of runs cross grain to maybe how Christians think about even what it means to be a, a Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, take, you know, a radio station, right? Um, and no, no shade on the radio stations for having this, but you know, their, their theme is positive and encouraging. Well, okay, that's awesome. But my life isn't always like that. Mm-hmm. My life is kind of discouraging and negative. So how do I still cling to Jesus when that's like that? So I think those are some reasons in my seminary education, I had no training on lament. Um, no, I, you know, no background on it. And as a result, I don't think people talked about it. So we didn't even know it was a thing. So those would be a few reasons I can give you a bunch more, but um, those are the dominant ones, I think. During my time in ministry, I've worked on staff at two different churches in the Dallas area at two different times. I always have to say that. Um, is one of the things, and you mentioned it, Pastor Mark, uh, was that people generally don't know what to say when we're going through suffering. Um, and this lost language for how do we communicate our presence with people in their pain, um, but not pass it away with kind of these spiritual niceties or superficial truths that don't have weight for the substance. Um, and I know with your other book, uh, Wheat With Me, uh, Pastor Mark, uh, you talked about lament kind of in this framework for racial reconciliation. And I was wondering, during your, as you were writing and as you've been talking about um, just this topic of lament, have you found different cultures in America having different um, familiarity with lament because of maybe more of a predominant history of suffering? Yes, unequivocally. In fact, if you want to look for, where would you look in the American songbook? So take the American songbook, the songs that have been written in the continental United States that reflect the language of lament, where would you find those? Well, the the main place you're going to find them is in African-American spirituals, right? Um, And so lament is the language of people who know exile, they know oppression, they know hardship that isn't going away. And it's the language of a people who say, how long, O Lord, because they have no other option but to say, um, how long, O Lord. And so I, I, I do think that there are, um, uh, I think there's also people who have ongoing medical issues um, long battles over, um, you know, whatever it is that has plagued them. Um, those, those folks, um, are, I think are able to be prophetically helpful, um, Mm -hmm. to us. Um, it's just that historically, I'm not sure either we either wanted to listen or we were listening or we were ready to listen Mm -hmm. because quite frankly, suffering and pain, and sorrow are frightening. And we just at times want it to be over. We want to move through it. We'd like to get on um, to the other parts of, of the Psalms. We'd like, let's go to Psalm 23, not 13. And that, that, I think that's not a, an abnormal experience um, for most human beings. And I think it's fairly more normative than what we even realize for Western American Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, your uh, idea when you uh, were talking around uh, successful Christianity and what it looks like in the West, uh, I just, in my own experience in ministry, I have uh, continued to, we, I, I, I minister in a church that is in a suburb of Dallas, and so there is a specific view of success, um, and I think that that's true generally in the West, and so you mentioned kind of that uh, individualism, that triumphal kind of feeling, and so uh, when people come face to face with the reality of 
of life in a broken and fallen world. Um, and they start be they start to begin to question uh, success. It's actually taking them back and beginning to look at, okay, well, how does biblically, how do we define success? Success being transformed into the image of Christ. And how often do we see that in the Bible? What does that look like when we are being transformed into the image of Christ? It looks it looks like the way of a suffering servant. It looks like following in the way of Christ as he carries a cross. And that is painful and difficult. And so uh, I, I wonder, you know, as you have pastored and you mentioned so many stories, which I, I just personally love that it's coming from the heart of a pastor of your, in your own life, but also those that you're walking with that are suffering in the long term. And maybe just what if you think of either a story or um, maybe an individual that comes to mind, uh, what are what's an example of that that you can kind of draw out and uh, saw kind of an individual take hold of that reality that no, this life is about me becoming more like Christ versus uh, this life is about my health and wealth and happiness. Yeah, I mean, there's so uh, I mean, there's so many of them. There's a you know a family whose um, son um, took his life, and you know that the empty place at the table and all the questions that are connected with that as a parent, like that lament um, doesn't go uh, away. Or uh, a family that whose son was um, you know tragically uh, hit um, by a car as he walked out to get the mail right in front of the whole family. And, you know, just hearing of a story of that, uh, person being on a, on a vision trip and, uh, or missions trip, uh, telling that story and a young man coming to faith in Christ because of the way that he could see God's grace, um, in this dad through his sorrow. And I, I think it's very, um, compelling to a watching world who knows that the world is broken. Um, I, I kind of wonder what what would a non-Christian think when they stumble into our uh, funeral services? And we don't even call them funeral services. We call them celebration of life. And a lot of times there's there's more laughter than there are tears. It's, it's almost as, as if we're afraid or um, we want to push suffering and hardship away. And yet, you're right, suffering and hardship are an essential part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And in my pastoral experience, I found that when people are hurting, they tend to, because of this, fall into two ditches, the ditch of denial or despair. Yeah. On the denial side, they come to church and they're like, praise the Lord, everything's everything's fine. And the reality is it's not. Mm -hmm. But they think that real Christians deny how gut-wrenching awful life can really be and the deep questions. On the other side is the despair, which is like, man, if I feel this way, and I think this way, and I'm struggling like this, I may not even be a Christian. Right. And so one of the things that I've just really tried to work hard on is like to pull people out of those ditches and be like, no, you don't have to deny that this is really hard. And you are a Christian, like keep fighting, keep clinging. And look at, you know, what, what the lamenters say in the Bible. There's, there's really gutsy truth as they pour out their souls for the sake of clinging to Jesus. And I just, I think, I think that's a needed dimension, not just a theology of suffering, but a language for us to continue to talk to God. When I think about the Psalms, one of the reasons that I love them is because of some of that gutsy truth that they have. You know, you think about Psalm 13 and the, like, the strength of what David is saying to God, um, and it seems as if he's almost yelling. All right, this, this complaint of, God, you haven't shown up, you haven't done what you said you were going to do— but his complaints aren't disconnected 
from who God is, but directly connected to his promises um, and how scripture gives us the model. Because many times the question is, okay, I know I need to talk to God. I know I need to do this thing, but how do I even begin to, to come before the Lord with, the, with all I've got going on inside of me? Um, and what have you seen as you have um, kind of pastored your church through this and again, talked to so many people about lament what are some of the key uh, uh, things along the pathway of lament? If someone's asking, okay, Pastor Mark, well, how do I even begin to have this conversation with God and tell him the real things of what's going on? Yeah, it's a great question. It's the question, right? Mm-hmm. So this is a language that helps us to move uh, from where we are to where we want to be. Um, so we'll define terms. So I define lament as a prayer in pain that leads to trust. So that's really important um, because lament leads you somewhere. Lament isn't a destination. It's process language. Uh, it's meant to lead you to a point of trust. So it's a kind of prayer, a prayer in pain. It's a unique kind of prayer in that way that leads uh, to, to, to trust. So um, lament is designed to be process language. And most laments include four uh, elements, turn, complain, ask, and trust. Now, it's it's music, it's poetry, um, so we have to be careful about not thinking about it overly linearly, but th- these elements, turn, complain, ask, and trust. So turn, I, I refuse to allow my pain to give God the silent treatment. So many people stop praying because they think, uh, I shouldn't talk to God like this, or um, I'm so weary. So lament actually gives people, no, you can talk to God. Like, let's do it. So turn, complain. This is the one that's probably the most controversial because complaining is sinful, but complaint in lament is simply laying out in clear and stark terms what's wrong. And Christians complain because we believe in the goodness of God. If we weren't theologically minded, if we didn't believe that God was sovereign, we'd have no reason to complain. Like, why complain if God is mean? Like, he's mean, but he's not mean. So, things happen and we're like, God, what in the world? This doesn't fit. And you're powerful. You could change this and you haven't. God, this is hard. So complaint acknowledges that we live in a broken world, but lament doesn't let us stay in complaint. So it's a, it's a conduit, not a cul-de-sac. It's really important. You don't, you're not simply rehearsing all of your complaints. It's, it's a means by which you then claim the promises of the word that's the ask. God, here's what your word says. Here's what your promises are uh, meant to mean in my life. And then it leads to trust, a renewal of confidence that God is trustworthy. And then we just repeat that over and over and over and over and over. And it's sort of like, it's like a like progressive sanctification that our healing process continues to grow as we learn to lament. And I tell you, I've just seen it happen that this Lament language used in counseling or in private prayer times, it, it helps to, 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 to give us some way of dealing with the really difficult pain, but it also contains it. So it's not out of control because grief is not tame. It's yeah. grief. It can be yeah. crazy. Yeah. And lament gives it some structure, gives it theological mooring, and it, it helps to, to push us towards the point where we can trust God and to rejoice in him. So those would be some key elements. And when we think about uh, kind of what lament does for us, right, these theological kind of rootings that it gives us, I believe it expands our perspective. And this is, when I was reading through your book, this is the part that really, that really captured me was just what we learn from lament. 
I think a lot of times we can just approach it and say, hey, this is what it does, what I'm able to do for it. And it is this amazing pathway of healing. But I also think it is a powerful tool of spiritual formation and how it shapes us to think about the world. And so when we think about what lament teaches us and kind of how it expands our understanding of what it means to be in this world, what would you say that is for us? That's a great question. I don't know that I've ever been asked that. And I wish I would have before because it's that's that's really thoughtful and helpful. So here's what Lament taught me. I mean, I, I don't want to speak for anybody else. Maybe you would want to answer that. But what Lament taught me is that the hardship of life isn't just hard and it isn't just working out for my own good, but the hardship and what I believe can coexist together. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to reconcile those. In, here's the key, in order to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to reconcile those. I want the pieces to fit. And it was liberating mm-hmm. for me to be like, it, I'm, I'm happy and I'm sad at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, mm-hmm. I, I can believe in God and I can really struggle with this. And I don't have to have everything buttoned up or cleaned up. The other thing is, is I think lament pushes the boundaries of our emotional um, spirituality. I don't, maybe there's another term for that, but we often think like right thinking followed by right action leads to right feelings. I've taught that. I've said that. Well, not always. Like mm-hmm. sometimes like feelings are way ahead and I'm feeling bad stuff and it doesn't matter how rightly I think or no matter how rightly I act, I'm still, I'm going to feel bad. And, mm-hmm. and actually to be like, and that's okay. I, I can I can release this expectation that um, I have to feel happy in order to be a real Christian. I can be a real Christian and be depressed and yeah. cling to Jesus. Yeah. So it just kind of opened up this whole area of how my emotional being or my the emotional realities of following Jesus are really important. Mm-hmm. And coming from kind of a theological and intellectual perspective on the Christian life. I think the emotional was was underserved and and the lament piece um, began maybe a rebalancing uh, mm-hmm. for me um, and for others mm-hmm. that I think is helpful and needed. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Pastor Mark, as we think about uh, just all there is to learn from lament, and uh, I think oftentimes when we categorize lament, we we think on the individual level and leave it there. Um, so you mentioned even a funeral service. So, okay, well, we, we're going to do celebration of life and we're going to be singing, you know, uh, music that is triumphant and victorious. And we have, we are, we are going home and this is, this is something to celebrate. And so I even think about kind of those spaces where it often feels so uncomfortable, where we feel the tension of, I need to say that I'm okay, because this is, this is the way that a believer looks in, uh, in particularly in the West. And so what do you think are some of maybe the common misconceptions around individual uh, lament and corporate lament? And uh, maybe what are some encouragements to what, what could be a practical way that we could start practicing corporate lament? Yeah, I think seizing on moments when there is a corporate issue that we're all grieving together. Um, that would be one, like a funeral, um, you know, and and what kind of language do we use in those moments? And how do we teach people how to be okay um, by not being okay and to give them space for that? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the same could be said for, you know, and I think we all experienced this through the turmoil of 2020 and 
COVID and uh, political divisions, racial tensions. I mean, it, there's a there was a lot to lament, and I I think there was um, at that there were opportunities, some of which I think were capitalized on, and maybe some that were missed, to really say let's let's acknowledge how broken the world is. And it it seems to me that the one group of people on planet Earth who ought to be really good at acknowledging the brokenness of the world. Uh, reflecting on it and stewarding that ought to be Christians. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, I think we've got some growth to do, um, you know, in that space. I think the other thing is when you get a group of people together who have a common shared um, sorrow or experience, um, there's an opportunity for them to collectively uh, unite together in a mutual understanding of how hard things are. Um, and then I'll, I'll say this, it doesn't always have to be event-based either. Um, you know, one of the things that, we are always trying to think about, but I don't know that we even do this as well as what we would like, is to realize that, you know, every Sunday when you've got people coming into church, they're, they're coming from various different perspectives. And so where's the place that even for just a moment, we'd acknowledge that not everybody is, is ready for a triumphant song. And there are some folks who need some space to lament. And how do we how do we create that in a way that's a little more helpful? So I think those are some just the acknowledgement of, oh, that's right. I've had a great week this week, but there's probably other people in the room that have not. Mm -hmm. And I, I think pulling us out of sort of this individualized, um, you know, social media feed based upon my likes, you can kind of get a really narrow view of the world. And I, mm -hmm. I think we need to maybe have a little broader perspective and help people to realize there's, there's hurting people in this room. Yes. Like, yeah. It's, it's Sunday, but they barely got here because they're not sure they can praise Jesus today. So where's their space? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. we got lots of room for yeah. the triumphant. Mm -hmm. Let's go Jesus mm -hmm. people like that's that's there. Um, yeah. And some of that, too, is probably because we designed the Western American evangelical church towards extroverts. Like they're the real Christians. The introverts are people who don't like people like that's totally not true. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, we, we've kind of got things a little off yeah. in some spaces, you know, mm -hmm. so I, there's there's a lot there. Yeah. Where's their space? And that's just the the reminder that somebody around us is always going through something and many people have been carrying their burdens for a long time. And so the dynamic of being in a church where people, it feels like people have forgotten your pain and they've, they've just moved on to the next thing, but you haven't moved on um, because of the constant reminders of just the brokenness in your own life, but just that we're reminded of the brokenness in the entirety of the world and have hearts that are sensitive to that, but that have hearts that realize, minds, hearts and minds that realize the... Um, the arc of biblical history, um, because the the root of all the brokenness we see is sin, but we serve a God who vic victory is ultimate and definite and guaranteed. Um, and so lament being able to be a reminder for us that what we have to look forward to is a world in which all of what we are experiencing now it doesn't exist. Um, and being able to do that while also acknowledging um, the depth of pain that doesn't always have the perfect words to go along with it, but that we would normalize places in our church for this is a place for people who are suffering and we welcome that here. We're not, we, it's not awkward. Mm -mm. It's welcome um, and regular mm -hmm. and normative uh, within our church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. 
You know, uh, even as you were talking, I was thinking about, uh, I think about many of the women that I counsel and how many of them have been um, uh, staying along uh, the long obedience in the same direction and just this long suffering pain of uh, failed marriages, difficult marriages, loss of children. I mean, just abuse and hardships that are are too difficult to name. And I... I think about them and, and some of them even too. And Pastor Mark, I would, I would just love your, your thoughts on this. Um, some of them have directly asked the question, how, how long, O oh Lord? Um, and quite literally have asked, I, have, I am continuing to come. They are doing the work of lament. I have continued and continued to come before the Lord and he has remained silent. I am doing these things. I'm positioning myself under the faucet, if you will. Why won't God turn on the water? And it is the, um, their, their cry is so, um, so honest and uh, heartbreaking. Um, but I, I think about that and maybe, Pastor Rick, what would you say, what kind of biblical counsel might you offer someone in that spot? Maybe a listener I'm thinking of, uh, yeah, what would, you, what would you say to that? I mean, it's a great question. It's a hard question. It's one we've all asked. It's one that Job asked, mm-hmm. um, you know, and one of the great mysteries of the Bible, or maybe one of the kindnesses of the Lord, is he doesn't answer the why question um, very often. We don't often get a glimpse of all that God is is doing. And I think maybe in the new heavens and the new earth, we'll understand why. It, it's sort of like a child who, you know, in their infinite wisdom as a child, can't understand why in the world mom and dad won't let me stay up at night. Mm-hmm. And um, for them, it feels so outrageous. And yet there are and it feels punitive and punishing and unfair, and, and yet there are good aims. And so it just kind of matters as to where we locate ourselves in the story of God. Um, the one thing that I would say, I hope that would be comforting to somebody in that position, because hearing, I don't know why, you know, doesn't, um, doesn't bring a lot of comfort. Um, the one thing I would say is, you know, the Bible actually gives voice to that very question. Uh, like Psalm 77, um, I just I, get, I can't even believe this is in the it, this is in the Bible. I cry aloud to God, and He will hear me. But then He says, "This in the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying." So He's praying, and yet my soul refuses to be comforted. Mm-hmm. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled, I cannot speak. So this idea is, God, where are you? And then if you were to go on the rest of Psalm 77, he he asks some questions that, quite frankly, if somebody just kind of lobbed these questions in the middle of their small group, they would call a counselor on really quickly. Like, hey, man, they're, they got some problems, like questions like, will the Lord spurn forever? Will he never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love ceased? Are his promises at an end? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Like the psalmist, he, he knows those things aren't true. He knows that God is good. But there are times when the circumstances in our life really cause us to question that. And I think the one thing that lament does is it it normalizes that. And to those women in particular, who have that experience, my only comfort would be to say, you know, you sound just like the psalmist. 
-hmm. And it's okay to wrestle through that. And the real success, I think, isn't arriving necessarily at a conclusion, but it's staying in the wrestling. And lament is that kind of language that helps us to continue wrestling Mm -hmm. um, over the long haul. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I'm just, I'm reminded so much of, um, you describe lament as that prayer and pain that leads to trust and call it process language. And that, that is, that is our process on, on this side of glory that, you know, we're not laying a foundation to build a home, but it is, it's so much more of just tent pegs that we're continuing to pick up and learning that. Um, and I think lament actually helps us give voice to the fact that we are aliens. We are sojourners and this is not our home and we are longing for the day that we get to be home and with our maker. Yeah. 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 It is a hope that is sure Mm -hmm. uh, because of Christ. Pastor Mark, as you, because uh, you've poured out a lot of wisdom on us today, but you pour it out as someone who is a practitioner of this. Um, you mentioned Psalm 77. Is there either that psalm or another psalm um, that kind of you, as you are walking through lament in your own life and leading your congregation in this way, man, this just has been just a sweet balm to your soul. Um, something that you keep coming back to over the years that's encouraged you to keep hoping and trusting as you are processing your own pain? Yeah, my go-to one, my normative lament psalm would be Psalm 13. And part of the reason why is it's it's tight, it's short, and it's gutsy. And that's helpful mm-hmm. to me because sometimes long laments, I, I don't need a long lament. I need something that, that can help me reorient my mind and my heart, you know, right away. Um, I have spent some time in the last couple of years uh, probing a little bit into the imprecatory Psalms. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, those were pretty helpful through 2020 yeah. for me yeah. as a pastor. <laughs> when, uh, you know, um, you know, their words are smooth as butter, but war is in their heart. I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, I know that. <laughs> like that's, that helps me. Thank you very much. And, um, you know, and. Uh, th- there's just some helpful things in those in those psalms that um, for the moment were were really life giving. Psalm 13 though would be my go to just because it, you know, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And then he ends, but I will sing. Yeah. Um, it, it, that I just love that and that that but pivot thing in the middle of there is so instructive and I, I love it because. It's a short one I can say in an elevator when I'm frustrated or in the car, when I feel like God's not listening to me. And it it helps me to go there and turn quick and go there and turn quick. And I find that the practice of lament needs to be um, more frequent and more normative in my life because the world is really broken. And um, I I encourage people to not think of lament as like the, the big gun that you pull out for the major pain in your life. That's true. Like pull that thing out when when the bottom is dropped out but you know, I remember doing a, a session for some like young moms and I said look when your kids are up at night and you're frustrated or you're trying to feed your kids at three in the morning and you just are like Lord I this is what I dreamed of and this is really hard like lament like mm-hmm. like lament the hard but not major things in life develop the skills and the muscle so that when the bottom falls out this isn't a language you have to learn from scratch. So good. You talked about it, um, but so much of the book of Psalms are Psalms of lament. Um, And what I love is that not that pain and brokenness are a part of our everyday reality, but they just are because of sin. But in knowing that God provided us a model 
to show us what to do with our pain. Uh, because the reality is either we will uh, be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit with our pain or we're just going to transmit it to somebody else that our pain doesn't disappear and go away. But our God in his grace has given us something to do in the small moments, in the big moments, um, and just prayer in pain that leads us to trust and hope in a God who never fails, has always been working, even when it doesn't seem like he's working, and our hope is not just in the present, but it's in the future and it's eternal. Um, And lament is a beautiful spiritual practice that we've lost, but are reclaiming because I think we are seeing that pain and brokenness are going to become more and more a part of our everyday reality um, just because of the dynamics of what it means to live in a fallen world. And Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy has a lot of truth and a lot of wisdom to help you as a listener, me and Taryn, to be able to know what it is to walk through those seasons of pain and utilize lament to be formed by it, to learn from it, and to help others walk in that too. Thank you, Pastor Mark. It has been a joy to talk with you. Lots of really good wisdom nuggets from this conversation today. Thanks for having me on your program. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This episode was produced by Chris Dare, Chelsea Conway, and Mandy Page. If you're a regular follower of the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can message us on social. Check the show notes for more information on how to best connect with us, as well as connect with our guests and ways to support their work. See y'all next time.